want to read 1 John chapter 4, verse 13. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Because in this world, we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Let me begin by asking the children, um, what would you do if you were working in a shop and someone came in and pulled out a gun and said, give me the money? What would you do? They pointed a gun at you. Josiah. You'd snatch it off them and point it at him. Okay. I, that probably is not going to work. Because he's like six foot six, okay? Much, much bigger than you, and he's got the gun. Eden. Pray to God to help you. Okay, that's a great one, yeah? Anything else? I know what I would do. I would give them the money. I don't want to get shot. I would just say, help yourself. It's all yours. Go away and leave me. Well, this actually happened. I watched. Um, they had a camera in this shop, and a man came in, and he had a hoodie on and a baseball cap, not saying that all people who've got hoodies are necessarily people who are going to rob, but he had a hoodie on and a baseball cap. This happened in Florida. And he came in and he said to the manageress, and she was a girl, a young woman, only 20 years old, and to basically give me the money. And she said, well, yes, I'll go and get it for you and so on. And as she went to get it, she said to him, actually, I've got something else I can give you. Let me give you Jesus. And you see, this was on the BBC, by the way. I saw this. It was just amazing. And the, uh, the man said, well, God bless you for that. And she said, you know, you don't need to do this. And she started talking to him. And she was really, really kind to him. She wasn't frightened. At least she didn't appear to be frightened. And she spoke to him. And the camera's filming all of this. And he started telling her why he was doing it and so on. And then eventually, he looked at her and he said, she said to him, you have beautiful eyes. And he said, you're making this very, very difficult. <laughs> and he asked her, well, show me the money. And she showed the money. She said, there's not much there. She said, well, are you the owner of this shop? And she said, no, I'm the manager. She said, well, if I take the money, I'm not really robbing you, am I? And she said, well, actually, uh, I'm the manager. I would have to pay all this back. And he, he just looked at her and he said, I can't do this. And away he went out. And she shouted after him, you need to go back to church. You need to get a pastor to pray with you. Jesus will. It was just an absolutely extraordinary thing. But I thought, what? what uh, you can go on. Um, I think you can YouTube it or Google it or go on the BBC website and you'll see it. It's just what extraordinary confidence that girl had in Jesus Christ. A confidence that overcame 
her fear. And that's what we're going to look at just now, the confidence that we can have, not because we are great, but because of who Jesus is. And there are five, oops, I don't think this is working. Can we go on? Can you move on, Ramon, for me? Because I can't. Just one. Yeah, that's the first one. I'll, I'll tell you when we come to the others. There are five tests. We're going to take communion. There are five tests that, that's, that we can take in terms of our confidence. I'll give you that one. <clears throat> the first is this. Confidence in the Holy Spirit. Now, let me ask the children to begin with. Who's the Holy Spirit? When I say the Holy Spirit, God, okay. Who else is God? Eden. Jesus. And who else? Josiah. The Lord Savior, God the Father. So you've got the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Does that mean there's three gods? No. No, there's one God, but there's three. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Do you know this? Lots and lots of grown-ups have real difficulty in understanding this, but that's exactly what the Bible teaches. There's one God, but he's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is very, very important because where's Jesus just now? Who knows where Jesus is? Eden? In heaven. Exactly, he's in heaven. Yet we pray that Jesus would be present with us. How can he be present with us if he's in heaven? It's only through his Spirit. And the, 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 the worship that we do is by the Spirit. If the, if the Spirit is not with us, then everything is in vain. And some of you will be saying, well, how do I know I'm a Christian? Or how can I become a Christian? It's by the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is the only one who can, can bring us to understand who Jesus is and to have a, a love for Jesus and to give us the new birth. And what John is speaking of here. He's saying that we can have a real, real consciousness of God. He's saying not just that we have a kind of logical deduction where we work out, I believe this, I believe this, I believe this, and therefore this works. It's more that we have a conscious enjoyment of God in our lives. If you go, if you've got your Bibles open, First John, back to chapter 3 and verse 24, it says this. Though who obey his commands live in him and he in them, and this is how we know that he lives in us, we know it by the spirit he gave us. So John says in that verse, we know that he lives in us because of the spirit in us. And in the verse we're looking at, in chapter 4 and verse 13, he says we know that we live in him. Not that he lives in us, but that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. Now, it's quite hard to explain what that means. But it does mean that when you become a Christian, it does mean that as a believer, that God's spirit lives in you. And it's, things are very, very different. It's not just a case of, I think this, I think this, I think this, and therefore this is the case. Or I do this, I do this, I do this, and therefore this is the case. But God's spirit isn't work. Now, what's interesting here is that John says... That the Spirit lives in us so that we can believe and love. Not because we believe and love. There are some of us, and a lot of Christians just don't grasp this, who think, if I believe and if I love, then God's Spirit will be within me. But what John tells us is, you can believe and you can love because God's Spirit is within you. 
The natural person can neither believe and love in the way that God asks. In our fallen, unrepentant state, we are both blind and selfish. And that's why our greatest need is always of the Spirit. When you are a Christian and you're thinking, if only I could love more, if only I could believe more, if only I could uh, do things more, and then God would bless me and God would come to me, you've got it the wrong way around. You need to have God, we need to have God fill us with the Spirit, we need to have God in our life, and the result of that is that we will love and that we will believe. It's like when we do the communion, we talk about the presence of Jesus Christ. There are some churches that teach that uh, the bread that we have here, that within that bread itself, as soon as it's prayed for, it becomes the body of God. It becomes the body of Jesus. It, it literally becomes that. Now, biblically, I think that is nonsense, as well as logically nonsense. When we say that God is present with us, it's not because of bread. It's not because of a priest. It's not because of special buildings. We are saying that God is with us because of his spirit being present. We sit at the table. We call, we say, when we take communion, we call it sitting at the table. We don't actually go and sit at a table. But, but if we did, we're saying, this is the Lord's table. We are, we've been invited there by Jesus Christ. And uh, we have his presence. In the Jewish Passover, some of you will know this, that if you had a Passover in the home, there would always be a seat left empty at the table for the Messiah who hadn't yet come. In the Christian church, we don't have an empty seat because we believe that Jesus is present and he is present by his spirit. So that's our first confidence. This is our second one. Oops, can you move? That's it there. Confidence in the testimony of the Son, verses 14 and 15. We have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Again, let me ask uh, the children here. How do you know the truth? How do you know what's true? Hmm. That's actually a really, really difficult question. But I'm almost tempted just to ask the adults, actually. How do, you know, how, do, how, do, how do any of us know what's true? If you wanted to find out something, what would you do? And go to Wikipedia is not the answer. Ask God, okay? Apart from God, is there anyone else you would ask? Josiah? You'd ask Eden, did you say? Oh, Jesus. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yes, you'd ask, not your sister. Okay, Jesus, ask God, ask Jesus. Anyone else you would ask? If you wanted to find out something. Someone who you trust, exactly. Like your dad and your mom. You'd ask them. Or you might ask your teacher something. Or, I mean, I know when I was very, very young, I used to think that my parents knew everything. And then by the time you get to about 14, you think they know nothing. And then you get a bit old and you realize they do actually know something. But it's, it's the case that you ask people. It's a great answer. You ask people, Elsa, who we, who we trust. And people will tell you and they will give you what we call a testimony. And here... What John is telling us is we know that we live in him because he's given us his spirit. And we know because he's given us this testimony. And we testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. This is the testimony. 
God has sent his son to be the savior of the world. In, in the story of the woman, the Samaritan woman, in John 4 and verse 42, we read this, that the other Samaritan said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. We believe this. Christians believe this. Not just as a kind of test, not kind of a question that you would answer, but because the sending of God's Son is the supreme evidence of God's love. We feel the truth of the gospel because the gospel is true. That's the important thing. Sometimes we might not feel it, but it still remains true. And what we are told here is that the Father sends the Son as Savior and the Spirit as witness to that. And there's also another witness. The witness is that of the apostles. We have seen, and John is talking about the apostles, we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Some people will say, I, I'm only going to become a Christian if I can see it all with my own eyes. That's not how it works. We believe, we trust people. We trust what God has said. We trust what the apostles have written down. We trust what the scripture says. And because of that, we know and are sure and are certain. The apostles are trustworthy witnesses. There's a real problem with people who say, I'm not going to believe unless I see it for myself. Because you have a problem. You're not going to see the crucifixion. Happened a long time ago. There are lots of things that you are not actually yourself going to see. And even if you did, you're not in the position to judge that. But here we are told God has given us a testimony. And it's on this testimony that we rely. How do I know that Jesus is the savior of the world? How do I know that God lives in us? How do I know that these things are true? Because it is the testimony of God. And when you are a Christian, what you are doing is you're making a, a single and a public confession to that. We, um, excuse me. we talk about making confession, and there's two ways that we can do that. A couple of weeks ago, as some of you know, I was in France, and we were in this Anglican church, and except it was in a jazz blues cafe, and it was quite interesting with the jazz blues music mixing with the Christian hymns uh, next door. But at one point in the service, uh, the man said, well, we're now going to make confession. And there were some people in there who didn't know, weren't used to being in church. And one girl thought, oh, no, what am I going to confess to? What have I done? But it was quite funny because the woman in front of us leaned over and said to her neighbor, I wish I hadn't had that glass of wine last night. And because this idea of confession, we, we're going to confess, we're going to confess the sins that we have done. We do that at the beginning of the service there. We, we together confess that we are sinful to remind us that we need a savior. But you know, the good confession, the most important confession, when we are taking communion is this, we are making confession, as some church traditions put it. And what we are doing is we are professing and confessing, not that we are good or that we are worthy, but that Christ is the son of God, the savior of the world. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Son of God, the Savior of the world. You know, people ask, how do I become a Christian? In one sense, it's just it's the most difficult thing in the world. In another sense, it's mo the most difficult thing in the world because it's the easiest. 
Because all you have to do is believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. By doing that, you're acknowledging you can't save the world. You're acknowledging you can't save yourself. You're acknowledging other people can't. And you're relying wholly and absolutely on him. Jesus said, unless you come to me like a little child, you won't even enter or see the kingdom of heaven. And a little child can say, yes, I trust you, Jesus. I trust that you are the savior of the world. I believe what is said. That's what John is saying here in the testimony. We have confidence in the testimony of the son. And then we have confidence in the love of God. Verse 16 so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. I guess the most famous verse in the Bible, what would any of the children think the most famous verse in the Bible is? Do you know any verses in the Bible? Hmm. Josiah's asking his mom, go for it. brilliant. Ephesians 2, 8 to 9. Now you see, I wouldn't have put that as the most famous verse in the Bible, but that's, that's brilliant. That's absolutely spot on. Great. Okay. That wasn't the verse I was thinking of though. Now there's a lot of verses, so Josiah, depends how many you've got memorized before we would get there. I'm thinking of John chapter 3, verse 16, because this is John who wrote this. And that says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son or his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. We, when we say that we are Christians, sometimes people, they they misunderstand that. They think it's being very, very arrogant. Or when we take communion saying, because we're trusting in Jesus Christ, sometimes people think you think you're better than other people, but no, we don't. Because we know and rely on what? Verse 16, we know and rely on the love God has for us. There are some of you here as Christians and you're saying, I'm really struggling with this. I'm really struggling as a Christian. I'm not getting on in this. I'm not doing this very well. I acknowledge and admit that I've committed sin and so on. And therefore you say, I'm either not a very good Christian or I can't be a Christian at all. But you misunderstand. Because what you have to understand is this. We know and rely not on the love we have for God. We know and rely not on the fact that we belong to the church. We know and rely not on the fact that we do X, Y, and Z. But we know and rely on the love that God has for us. John Lennon, one of the Beatles, wrote a song called God. And uh, it was a song basically saying why he didn't believe in God, he didn't believe in Jesus, he didn't believe in all the different gods that were said, he didn't believe in the Beatles, he didn't believe in anything, the only thing he believed in was me, or himself, which is an incredibly sad position to be in. When uh, Bono of U2 wrote a response to that, he wrote a song called God Part 2, and the lines of it, some of it I put up there, I believe in... uh, I believe in love. Sorry, that's not the the, the lines from that song. It's from another YouTube song in a moment. I'll say something about that. But he said, I believe in love. And he wasn't being vague. He was talking about what is said here. God is love. We know and rely on the love that God has for us. 
To love sinners, says one man, is never a human achievement. And where this is found, it shows that God is present. It is only God dwelling within which makes that kind of love possible. Again, let me stress, it's not love and God will come to you. It's God has come to you so that you can love. Going back to you to the words I put up there is from another song called When Love Comes to Town. I'm going to jump that train. When love comes to town, I'm going to catch that flame. Maybe I was wrong to ever let you down, but I did what I did before love came to town. And he talks about how um, in that song, Bono talks about how he's let people down, how he's hurt people, how he's done so many things that are wrong. But then love came. And it wasn't his love for other people. It was the love. I was there when they crucified my Lord. I held the scabbard when the soldier drew his sword. I threw the dice when they pierced his side. But I've seen love conquer the great divide. It's God's love living within a believer that ensures confidence, expels fear, and encourages us to be like Christ. That's why Jesus says, whoever drinks from this well will never get thirsty again. How can we be confident in the love of God, the cross of Christ? It's as simple as that. You don't sit at the Lord's table as though, I don't know if people still do this, as though you have a daisy chain going, he loves me, he loves me not, he loves me, he loves me not. The Christian sits at the Lord's table, takes the bread and takes the wine and just simply says, he loves me. We have confidence in the love of God. We have confidence, verses 17 and 18, on the day of judgment. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. Let me uh, again go back to the children and ask you, have you ever been on a camp? Yeah. Do you, I mean, this is, now this is free church camps a long time ago. I don't know if they still do this. Maybe I should ask Izzy, but uh, do you ever do dorm inspection? Yeah, Izzy definitely does dorm inspection. You did dorm inspection. Right, dorm inspection is when you are told that the leader of the camp is going to come around and inspect your room to see that it's tidy. I think this would be a great idea if parents did this every single day. No, that might not work. But dorm inspection. Now, some of the camps I went to, we had dorm inspection. I couldn't care less about dorm inspection because the leader, to be honest, they didn't seem too bothered and I wasn't too bothered about them. But I remember one camp I was at, I was terrified that if the leader came around and did dorm inspection and found a shoe out of place, be really quite scared when he was, you, you took it really, really seriously. Well, there's a sense in which when we talk about the day of judgment, people think of it a little bit like that, as though God is inspecting what we've done in our lives. And if we're being completely honest, we would be afraid of that. Because there are things that we have done, there are things that we have said, there are things that we haven't done that we should have done. There are things that we would be very, very embarrassed for anybody to know about and for Almighty God to to judge us on that. It would make us very, very, very afraid. But here John says this. He says, we're not afraid. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. I think that some of us find it very, very difficult to love because we are afraid. We're afraid to love somebody in case we get hurt because love implies trust as well. We're afraid to commit ourselves to someone in case we get hurt. We're afraid because of what we know, because of what we have experienced in the past. It's a bit like you may not know what fire is. You stick your hand in the fire. After that, you're afraid of fire. 
And for many of us, in terms of relationships, including relationships with God, relationships with other people, relationships within churches, relationships in marriage, with family, and so on, it is very difficult for us because we're afraid. And so we'd rather be ourselves. We'd rather be self-contained. We don't want to let anyone in. We don't want to let anyone hurt us. That's why we find it difficult to love. Well, John is telling us that we can have confidence in the love of God, such a confidence that enables us not to be afraid of God and not to be afraid of loving other people. In chapter 2, verse 28, there's confidence in Christ's coming. Chapter 3, verse 21 and 22, we have confidence in prayer. There is a difference between the fear that John speaks of and the reverence and the awe and the respect that is due to God. Hebrews 5 verse 7, Jesus, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Jesus honored his father. Jesus feared his father in the right way. But there is a wrong kind of fear that keeps you away from somebody. There's a respect that you can have, but there is a fear that keeps you away from God. And it's a contradiction to say that we approach God in love and we hide from him in fear at the same time. And I think a lot of us as Christians, there's a kind of mixed emotion that we try and do these two things. We try to approach God in love, we, we hide from him in fear. Um, again, that's not where we should be at. Romans 8, 14, those who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Every single religion and every single cult in the world makes you afraid. Afraid to leave the cult. Afraid to do this. Afraid to do that. What the gospel of Jesus Christ does is it gives you a glorious liberty, a glorious freedom. We're set free to serve the living God. So love for God, the love of God gives us love for him and love for him overcomes the cringing fear of God. I fear God in the sense of reverence him, but I am not afraid of God. God corrects and disciplines, but does not punish his children in that way. Of course, if you are not a believer, then Jesus says you stand condemned already. He invites you to come and to experience the love of God. Fear has to do with punishment. In fact, let me say this. Fear is part of the punishment. To live in fear is to be punished. John Calvin speaks about being beyond the reach of fear. John here speaks about being made perfect or mature. And it's, it's not sinlessness that's been spoken of here. It's just having this awareness and knowledge of the love of God that we are not afraid. That we, we don't have that craven oh no, God is going to get me, type of, of fear that religion instills in people. And again, in the communion, that's what we do. We, we, we take the wine, which reminds us of the sacrifice of Jesus, the blood of Jesus that John has already said, turns aside the wrath of God, the blood of Jesus, which cleanses us from all sin. So as you take communion as a believer in Jesus, having believed the testimony, having received the Spirit, You're not saying they're thinking, 
Oh, I'm in trouble. God's going to do this. God's going to do that. God's going to do that. You are celebrating the fact that you are forgiven and that you have been set free. And then the last one is just simply this. Verses 19 to 21. We love because he first loved us. It's not just that we have confidence in the love of God, but we have confidence to love people. Um, I asked the children this before. Yeah, what you would do if you love someone. We already, I, I can remember all the answers about giving them your last Rolo and all that kind of stuff. Um, you don't love and hate somebody at the same time. We are not afraid of God, but we love him. And because of that, we love our fellow Christians. Indeed, our love for God is shown by love for his people. The perfect love that casts out fear, the mature love that casts out fear, is a love that casts out hatred as well. Sometimes you get people who say that they are Christians and they say that they believe in Jesus and they believe all the right things and they believe the testimony, but within themselves there is a hatred for another Christian and for other Christians. But that's ridiculous. To affirm one's love for the unseen whilst failing to love the seen is to believe a fantasy. Look what Jesus does, verse 21, it sums it up. He takes two verses. Jesus takes two verses. Deuteronomy 6, 5, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And Leviticus 19, 18, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Jesus takes those two together. And in Matthew 22, verses 37 to 40, he summarizes the whole of the law by putting them together. And John says, look, what the Old Testament law could not do. It gave us the command, but we couldn't keep it. Christ enables us to do because it's done on the basis of love. He loves us, so we love him. He loves us, so we desire to do what pleases him. He loves us, so we love his people. And again, when that comes to the communion, it's very straightforward. We are told we are to discern the body of Christ in two ways. That means two things. Firstly, we accept the testimony. This is the testimony. The Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. You should never take communion if you do not believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world, and that includes your Savior. You should never take communion unless you can accept that. But secondly, we recognize that other Christians are part of that body. There is the body of Christ now, his people, in whom his spirit dwells. And other Christians are our brothers and sisters, and you don't live as a Christian in isolation. It's one of the great curses of modern life and modern Christianity that so many Christians think it is about me and my personal Jesus, and I go to church and I get this for me and this for me, and uh, I'll get some, go somewhere else and get that for me. no. We collectively belong together. And when we take communion, that is what we are saying, that we acknowledge we may not like one another all that much at times. I'm not saying if you're really annoyed or irritated at another Christian, don't take communion. I'm not saying you've all got to have perfect relationships. Underneath the veneer of this church, and every church has a veneer, you will find there's just a raging swamp of mixed emotions and jealousies and fears and hatreds and, and everything else, which God is dealing with. It takes a long, long time to deal with. That's the reality of it. 
But what we're being told is this, that it's not that we are ourselves perfect in love, but because of the perfect love of God, it drives out fear, unites us together, and enables us to love one another. Well, it's my prayer that we would know that. And just that verse, verse 16, we know and rely on the love God has for us. That's it. That's a tremendous statement and a tremendous confidence that we are to have. I'm going to ask Brian if you'll come and lead us in prayer and pray for us as a, as a fellowship in response to this. And I do want to, to say that we continue to uphold in prayer Andy and Jenny Gill and their baby uh, Oliver. Um, just to let you know that uh, the situation is extremely serious. Oliver is in Sick Kids in Edinburgh with cancer. Um, there is a, a, a blog that they've put up on Facebook which tells you how things are going. Um, please, please do pray for them. We're, we're, stuck, we're left with this, aren't we? We know and rely on the love God has for us, even in the most difficult uh, uh, of circumstances. So um, Brian will come and we pray for this and pray for maybe some other things as well. And we'll remain seated as we bow our heads in prayer.